Thank you for listening to the Coal Mine Podcast. This is David Cole from Dallas, Texas, and it's April 2022. This interview is part of an exchange between this podcast and the podcast called Texas Appellate Law, published by Texas lawyers Todd Smith and Jody Sanders. Late last year, after months of home confinement as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, we ran into each other at the State Bar's Civil Appellate Course in Austin, had the idea of swapping episodes, and then took a couple of months to get around to it. But now it's done, and this episode I speak with Todd and Jody about their appellate practices, their experiences in podcasting, and what they see developing in both areas in the future. Welcome, Todd, and welcome, Jody, and before we get into the nitty-gritty about podcasting and all those good things, I'd like to take a moment for you guys to introduce yourselves to those in the audience who might not know you. Todd, you're next on my screen uh, to where I am here, so I'll ask you to say a little bit about yourself first, and then Jody, well, you can give us a little intro as well. Well, thanks, David. Uh, I appreciate that. Um, I'm Todd Smith. I've been practicing civil appellate law in Texas my entire career. Uh, I came out of St. Mary's Law School in 1995, went into a two-year judicial clerkship with Raul Gonzalez on the Texas Supreme Court. Uh, from there, I joined a little two-man firm known as Fulbright and Jaworski, uh, <laughs> and then started my own practice, did that for 15 years, and last year joined the Austin office of Butler Snow, uh, where I have the privilege of practicing with a lot of fine lawyers, including uh, a great appellate group there. Uh, my practice is... I do a lot of trial support work. I do a lot of jury charge work, motion practice, but I also handle what we traditionally think of as appeals and mandamus proceedings and intermediate courts of appeals, primarily here in Texas and the Texas Supreme Court. But occasionally I'll get into the Fifth Circuit, not as often these days. But uh, so that's my practice in a nutshell. Outstanding. Jody, about two cents about you. Sure. Uh, I'm Jody Sanders. I am at Kelly Hart and Hallman in Fort Worth. I've been here almost 17 years. I primarily do civil appellate law. I started out kind of just doing general litigation, and I still do some of that, but I think the last 15 years or so, it's been primarily civil appellate law. Kind of like Todd, it, where I'm practicing varies. I mean, all throughout Texas, I've done for a while there, it was a lot of appeals in a lot of other states and federal courts. There's a lot of stuff in the Fifth Circuit, and it, it just comes and goes. But as we were talking about before we got back back to recording here, it seems like a lot of trial work lately too. We had we had a very quiet two years, and then it's it's all kind of picked back up in the last six months or so, and it looks like it's going to continue that way for the foreseeable future anyway. Now we were just talking about that before we got on the recording, but I, I had made the comment that just in the last couple of weeks, here at the start of April, we're recording this here at our firm, which is Trial Trial Boutique. We've been trial notices have kind of been raining down out of nowhere. I mean, nothing had happened for two years. All of a sudden, when the machinery really got serious about restarting and it wasn't just a one-off trial here and there, it has restarted. I mean, that's been my experience just in the last month. Have you guys seen the same thing? I I think for the last few months anyway, it seemed like things were ramping up and then some of the variants of, of the coronavirus kind of pushed things back again, but it seems like they've come back full force again in the last two or three months again. I just finished up uh, a docket call here in Travis County. Um, The wonderful thing about YouTube is I can be on docket call wearing my golf shirt and hanging out in my home office. But uh, I was monitoring a docket call for for a case I'm involved in. And we were probably about seventh or eighth on the list. And our case is going to get reached. Uh, We're we're headed to trial in April. And... So Travis County is starting to go 
full force back with uh, in-person jury trials with, with precautions. And so that, for those of us, I mean, we literally had nothing uh, in person in Travis County since COVID hit. So it's very welcome news. And I think, David, it, what's beginning to come true, something Jody and I have talked about a lot, is we're just facing a wave. Uh, and once the once the proverbial floodgates are open, and it sure seems like they're opening up, I think trials are going to be happening, and, and the appellate lawyers like us are going to be super busy uh, for quite a while. But certainly there was enough to do before the pandemic, and then you have this hiatus in, in the practice that drives appellate practice. You have to have trials to have appeals is sort of definitional. And, you know, a lot of people have been waiting a long time for their day in court. And now that we have firm trial settings again, that not only starts the trials up, it starts sort of more meaningful pretrial activity. Than, and we've had a lot of motion practice the last couple of years, but, you know, people are get serious about the, the, the dispositive motions that they are bringing to try to get out of the firm trial settings. And I think it's going to be a, a busy couple of years ahead of us for sure. So I invited you guys, uh, aside of the fact that I just like both of you and ran into you in person for the first time in two years at the recent appellate seminar, uh, you guys have been podcasting. I see you're uh, occasionally uh, catch a bit of an episode. I see your social media about your recent episodes. It seems like you've been very successful with getting good guests and good subject matter. So as fellow podcasters, I wanted to say hello and just ask you a little bit about how you got in the business of setting it up and what kinds of messages you're trying to get from people and share with your audience and whoever wants to speak to that first can do it and one of you can can chime in i like the way jody tells the story about how we got started well then jody it's showtime for you we really kind of got started with a joke on on twitter i made a joke about starting a podcast um an appellate podcast and todd responded and said, are you serious? Are you really interested? And, and Blake Hawthorne, the clerk <laughs> of the Texas Supreme Court, also came in and said, hey, if you guys really want to do this, I'll help set up your first episode. You can record it at the court, and I'll get you one of the justices as the guest. And so I thought about it, and Todd and I connected offline and talked about it and thought, hey, why not? I mean, let's give it a shot and see what happens. He had thought about doing it in the past, and I thought mm-hmm. you know, it would be something that was fun, but he had already kind of figured out the technical side of it, which is something I had not thought about at all. And I had some ideas for maybe what we could do on the on the substance side. And so it seemed like it worked out pretty well. And we took Blake up on his very generous offer and went down and recorded our first couple of episodes at the Texas Supreme Court. He had Justice Jeff Boyd as our first guest, and then Blake was our second guest. And then that was the first week of March 2020. And then shortly after that, as we were oh, leaving... In fact, as we were leaving, Todd... I didn't realize that. I thought it had been a little bit longer before no, the was, pandemic. No, it was literally no, the first week of March. And, and as we were leaving, Todd said, Oh, my know, goodness. Okay. I'm in Austin. You're in Fort Worth. We'll record over this thing called Zoom. We'll figure that out. And I said, sure, okay. We'll, we'll figure it out. And then... Yeah. This niche uh, product called... No one's ever heard of Zoom. This is... We're cutting yeah, well, edge here. Yeah. No one had. And so I went on spring break. And then the world turned upside down. And when I came back, it turned out all of a sudden, every judge and lawyer in Texas knew how to do Zoom. So it was just perfectly good timing. <laughs> Sure. Fantastic. Wow. That worked in a weird way that worked out. It was great to have Blake sort of be a champion for us. Uh, You know, Blake, I I like to call Blake a a pot stirrer or I've heard him called a connector. Uh, He's he's very good at that. And so we were privileged to have Blake invite us to, to do our first few recordings in the Supreme Court courtroom. And we may have to try that again uh if if we get back to more in-person things that was really a fun experience to do but i had i was using uh, zoom in my practice uh and so we we used it for internal meetings and things with my law firm and 
so it, it just seemed like a natural fit to bring people from you know diverse geographic locations together. It's a super easy platform to use and record and translate the digital files, you know, as, as need be. So no, that, that was pretty much it in a nutshell. I, I wasn't sure that I wanted to take this kind of venture on by myself. And so Jody and I, you know, working on this together has really worked out great. Uh, you know, I, I do have more of the technical uh, side, sided brain. And so I was able to kind of help us launch and then as we moved along, just everything has just worked out great. The division of labor always seems to just work out, and uh, we we're now we just released yesterday our ninety second episode. Woo! Way to and, go! Uh, and just as Jody uh, implied, we just celebrated our our second uh, anniversary of the podcast, and so we're still churning out content. We're you know super pleased with the guests that we've had, and we look forward to bringing more uh, to our listeners. One thing I've learned from social media and podcasting is that the only way to figure out what works and what doesn't is to try things, and some will work and some will not work. And you try to move from that and adapt, and you know those lessons change with time as well. But there's only way you can't just read a book about it. You've got to do it. And I'd be interested in, in, in the doing you've been doing over the last couple of years, the different, the many different guests you've been able to have successfully. What are the topics and types of guests that have really worked well, you feel have really clicked with what you're trying to do? And what are some others where you learn, yeah, that's, I'm going to leave that one for somebody else. That just wasn't something that fit me all that well. I think one of the things that has worked well for us is having guests without, I mean, just kind of a general idea of what we want to talk about and then just letting it go where it is. You know, we're not a scripted podcast. We, we kind of come up with outlines, very rough outlines at the beginning and maybe an idea of what we want to talk to a particular person about and then just letting them talk because it always ends up going somewhere interesting or we learn something that we never would have come to if we'd come up with a whole lot of scripting. And so that has worked well for us. I think we've done some episodes where it's just the two of us, but I think it works so much better with a guest because people don't really want to hear us talk all that much just the two of us and I think the other thing that we we do some but not as often is really technical in the weeds appellate substance you know talking about okay the Texas Supreme Court decided these two or three cases here's summaries of these cases I mean we have done some of that when it's in a particular context I think not going into that level of detail and making it more about people and stories and and broader issues has I think, given us a broader audience than if we made it more niche like that. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, I think, you know, being f- more flexible with our topics than just dealing with appellate law. I mean, it's the, it's the Texas Appellate Law podcast that we've had, you know, judges and lawyers and legal technologists and court staff uh, talking about not only truly appellate-related issues or sort of as a subset uh, litigation or trial issues, which we're all interested in. But we had a special episode uh, our first year with Chris Ritter, who was then with the Texas Lawyers Assistance Program, came on to talk about lawyer well-being around the holidays. And we'll do some sort of special episodes like that that aren't really focused on our our core topic. Because, frankly, I mean, if all we did was talk about appellate law all the time, other than the dorks like the three of us, I don't know who would actually tune in. And so, I mean, I, I might, but I, I can tell you that when I listen to other podcasts, I enjoy some variety in the subject matter, even if it is a topical 
podcast is because, as Jody mentions, you know, really trying to show the human side of people. I mean, one of our uh, in our tagline, one of the things that we are trying to do is sort of peel back the curtain on appellate practice. And so that, to me, really involves featuring the human side of it and humanizing our judges uh, and other lawyers and kind of get us out of the ivory tower a little bit. The real question about guests is, have you interviewed any cats? <laughs> you, you laugh, but I, before Lawyer Cat came out, Judge Roy Ferguson is very active on social media, and he was kind of one of the forebearers sure. of, of virtual jury trials, so we had him on to talk about that. And then yeah. shortly, I don't know, a month or two after we had him on, I think is when that came out. And that, I think today is still our highest downloaded episode. There. What podcast do you guys like to listen to? If you like to listen to podcasts, maybe you have enough of it in your daily life. I listen to a variety of podcasts. Um, the State Bar of Texas podcast is a, is a good, reliable one. Rocky Deer uh, hosts that one, and uh, he talks about a broad array of topics. I tend to like technological apple related podcast because i'm i'm a fan of apple so anything that david sparks puts out is something i'll like to listen to i don't quite have the time to do that that i I would really love to invest in it if i could you know strangely not a ton of legal related podcasts uh because so much of you know what i do every day is really focused on that so I'll tune in to some, but mostly they have to do with legal technology just because it's something I'm interested in. I'm kind of the same way. I mean, on on the legal side, Karen and Steve Vladek have the In Loco Parents or Parentis podcast that's great. Um, Just the two of them and their interactions are really funny. I like the podcast Criminal, which tells stories about criminal-related issues, but it's not purely criminal law. It's not purely criminal court stuff. I don't know. It, it gets into some interesting topics. Ken Wise has the Wise About Texas podcast. It's a Texas history podcast. I love that. There's all kinds of interesting stuff in there. So those are some of the ones, but I mean, I listen to a whole wide variety and sometimes I'll just pick up some for an episode or two and then sit them down and then pick them up again, you know, six months later. So it just, it varies wildly. So one thing I get in the podcasting and social media business is people saying, yeah, I've thought about and The rest of that sentence is starting a podcast, starting a blog, some other form of social media that I'm not familiar with. But there are a lot of people out there with that have sort of the beginning of an idea for some kind of social media enterprise. What do you say to people when you get that kind of inquiry? I mean, I I think for a podcast, and I can't remember the statistic Todd has done, but it's something like most podcasts fail, you know, if they don't get to what is it, 10 episodes, Todd, something like that? I think it may be even less than that. I think Maybe it's less than that, like but, you know, seven. <laughs> if, if you're going to do it, plan out those steps. I mean, think about, okay, how am I going to get this past the first few episodes? Am I going to have guests? Who are they going to be? What are the topics going to be? I mean, the technical side of it. How am I going to record it? Is, am I going to edit it? Am I going to hire somebody? Mm-hmm. Just kind of think through those things. And you don't have to have them all in place. But I think if you're just going to kind of say, okay, I'm going to record one and see what happens, it's a lot harder to keep going if you haven't thought through that. So I think just map it out before you start. And maybe we we probably didn't do the best job on that. We just happened to get lucky <laughs> with having Blake kind of sponsor us and get us started. And then, you know, COVID hit and we had a whole variety of lawyers and judges with Zoom and lots of time on their hands. But, you know, I, I think looking back, I certainly would say do that now kind of have a roadmap in advance because i think that that's 
if you get in the groove, and that's one thing we've been really lucky with, once we kind of got in the groove, it's a little bit self-sustaining. I mean, we do have to kind of find the guests and find the topics, but Todd's got a whole online platform for booking, and it, it really has automated to the point where it's not a whole lot of work for us to do an episode. You know, it's a little bit of preparation before, a little bit of work after in the recording, but for a one-hour episode, we're talking about maybe an hour and a half worth of time, maybe. Yeah, I think as far as, you know, what I would tell someone starting up is, first of all, either with, say, you know, blogging or podcasting, to definitely have a plan like that. Because so often people do what what I've heard called random acts of marketing. You know, you really have to do something other than, oh, hey, I'm going to put up this blog post and you don't touch the blog again for two months. You know what that's like, David, uh, trying to keep up with the blog on a, on a regular basis. It's kind of the same for a podcast. I mean, the only way you really develop any momentum with a, a medium like that is to do it consistently. And so, you know, I, I guess someone who's just starting out and thinking about doing something like that, I would say just be prepared to devote the time. It's fine. It's fine to try and fail at new things. I mean, that's I think you kind of pointed to this earlier, David, you have to try and find out what works for you. And if it's not working, then you know, don't invest the time in it. But most of the time, if you put a lot of thought into it on the front end, you're going to kind of figure out like, for me, I, I did not venture into the world of podcasting on my own, just because I had that concern that it would be really difficult to sustain by myself. And so having that sort of a plan going in, I mean, you can be flexible. And we, we really were flexible with ours. But we kind of knew what we wanted to do and we had a loose plan. We executed it and be prepared to, to pivot along the way uh, would be the advice I would give. I've, heard, I've seen a similar statistic, Todd, to what you mentioned earlier. I don't recall if it was 10 or 7, but it was a single digit number. My hosting service is called Buzzsprout and they have a whole bunch of statistics based on you know what they observe in their pretty large user base. And the, the flip is, if you get past that number, we'll just call it around 10. That's probably a little high. But if you have a plan to get to 10, and you in fact get to 10, you probably are in a groove, to use your word, Jody. That's hard to do without a groove, just doing it kind of ad hoc. You remember the original series Star Trek and the five-year mission to seek out new worlds? They chose that because rarely did a series get to five years. So they figured if they could get to five years and have a problem with their mission running out, great. <laughs> this has been a smashing success. So, of course, they got three years. They didn't make it to five. Built into the intro of the show. I don't know if that'd be quite that brash. But I do think saying to yourself, not necessarily baby steps, but teenage steps, get to 10 and probably going to make it if you've gotten that far. But if you can't articulate a plan to do that, and you probably aren't going to get there. Frequency, mm-hmm. you know, it's... The most important thing, as I've said, is, is consistency. But, you know, we started off, we really wanted to build a library and we wanted to provide information that people would find useful in terms of our content. So we committed to, to recording. Uh, well, we would record sort of sporadically, but we, we committed to publishing every week and just said, look, on Thursdays, the people who tune into us and, and get to become fans of our podcast will know that every Thursday on their drive to work, they're going to have a new episode to listen to. Now, recently, with me having changed firms and you know some other things, talking about sustainability, yeah. we decided to ratchet that back a bit, and now we, we publish every other Thursday. But still, the key is, is just that consistency. Mm-hmm. Just do it, whatever regularity you decide, and then 
uh, people will start looking for the content. They'll start to expect it. And that's been really nice uh, mm -hmm. to have people you know, reach out to us and say, hey, great episode. We really enjoyed that. I mean, we hear uh, from folks on Twitter fairly often. So it's, you know, again, it all to me comes down to not only you want to put out good content, but you just need to be consistent in it and, and make that plan up front. I think you have a, a, a better chance of being successful. So how did you pick Thursday? There are seven days in the week, and I think everyone has a favorite day for there being their drop date. I use Sunday, and I'm happy to talk about why I use that, but it sounds like you thought about it for Thursday. Is there some logic to it, or is it just match when you happen to have some time in your schedule? I think it kind of matched schedules. We, were, we hired a company really early on to uh, handle our production, and so we kind of got just got on a schedule with them and it just it's what made sense for us i think if you're self-publishing do it according to what works best for you the content's still out there uh no matter what no i think it's it, it doesn't really matter what day of the week it is i do think it has to be the same day i think if you just post content all the sort of randomly i don't think it even matters if you skip if you try for every couple of weeks and you skip a cycle for whatever reason, so long as when you get back online, you're on the same day of the week. I think that rhythm is sort of mission critical. Uh, sometimes I'll get out of it, but I always have some explanation, special midweek episode or something. People need to have a day of the week, and you need to have that for your cycle. But I'm not sure one day of the week is more magic. Than yeah, the other. it's to me it does. That's exactly what it plays into. Is you know you're committing yourself to publishing on that cycle, and so you get to. The, know what your your readers or your audience sort of expect uh you know podcasting's maybe a little different than than blogging in that respect because you know you you as a blogger you don't control when there's a monumental case that comes out of the texas supreme court or the fifth circuit mm -hmm. but you're also trying to report it uh as quickly as you can just to get the information out there you know podcasting if you if you have it produced and and transcribed in all the way that we do it's a much more sort of long tail enterprise. I mean, you're not trying to, to hit the breaking news cycles, mm -hmm. uh, which is one reason why we just really focus on guests that are going to appeal to a broad audience. And yeah, we might talk about, I mean, we focused a fair amount early on, on virtual court proceedings and uh, virtual jury trials and so forth, which was really topical. And you know, we talked about the, 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 the virus attack at the Texas Supreme court and, and that mm -hmm. sort of thing, which was sort of timely, but and we've sort of stayed away from trying to, to hit you know the news cycle because it's just with the amount of time it takes to produce an episode and put it out the way that we do, it's really not possible, especially now with publishing every other week. The, the concept of a library that you talk about, Todd, is certainly what I've seen with my podcasting is the, the most successful episodes are the ones that, while they're timely, they're timely for like a year. <laughs> And so you'll just see some people click here and some people click there, and it just sort of drifts up. The ones that are super tied to a particular event, they may get a lot of traffic for a little while, and then they're just dead. I mean, people just have moved on. And so I think that that's different than blogging, where people only read the front page of the blog. People don't just say, I wonder what David posted about nine <laughs> months ago. But they, but they will do that on podcast. They'll sit there and click through. Oh, that looks like an interesting episode there. Jody, what do you think about all this? The sound? No, I think that that's right. I mean, I, I think we've, we've tried to make episodes that if you're working out three months from now and decide you want to listen to one, and you can find a topic that you want to listen to out of the last 92 episodes. And, and there were a few that I think Todd's right, especially at the beginning, are more 
timely for the time we put them out. But for the most part, I think you could listen to any of them today and they mostly would be relevant too. Who do you think is out there listening to the things that we're saying in podcasting and blogging and the other social media outlets that lawyers use to express themselves about their practices in the law? Are we just talking to ourselves? Uh, is that bad if we are just talking to ourselves? Or is there another audience that's separate and distinct or related in some way? I think our target generally is lawyers. We don't go super specialized into Texas appellate law all the time. But I think in general, we think it's probably trial and appellate lawyers for primarily listening to us, some judges too. But that's not to say, you know, for instance, the Judge Roy Ferguson episode after the lawyer cat thing. I mean, I know we got a lot of people from the public listening to that. And I think some of these other guests, you know, we've had Don Willett on, we've had Greg Costa on, we've had, you know, some federal and state judges of some notoriety. And so I think that probably people in the general public may listen when they see those names in the news and Google them and think, okay, well, let me learn a little bit more about that person, which is another goal of ours. It's maybe not our goal that or our expectation, I guess, that the public listens to every episode, but we do want them to be accessible and approachable to non-legal audiences as well. And I think there is some of that that goes on. And I think surprisingly, we have a fairly large audience outside of Texas that listens to us probably more than I would have anticipated when we started it, which I think also has to do with some of the topics and, and guests that we pick. Well, you're probably very popular with cats. I think so. Yeah, a lot, a lot of appellate cats. Appella cat. Yeah, definitely. Todd, it sound right? No, it does sound right. I mean, I think just by nature of our topic, we tend to draw more appellate uh, lawyers and judges. Yeah, you know, we really like talking to trial lawyers, though, too. And, mm -hmm. and it's one of our uh, goals to have uh, more trial lawyers on the show. You know, it, how you relate uh, Trial, trial lawyers practice to appeals is is kind of interesting. We try not to just pat ourselves on the back all the time and have the trial lawyers just affirm that what you really need to do is go hire an appellate lawyer before your trial. Although we're happy when they do say that, but I, I think you know the judicial episodes do tend to be among the more popular, even when they don't involve uh, lawyer cats. So I, I think for us, it also, you know, one of the nice things that Blake Hawthorne did for us when we were starting off is lining up Justice Boyd as a guest, because I think what that did for us out of the gate was give us some credibility and that we had our very first guest was a Texas Supreme Court justice. You know, if it had just been sure. me and Jody sitting around, you know, talking about appellate law, uh, the two of us on the microphone, I'm not sure that it would have taken off quite the same way. And so we've been fortunate to have several Texas Supreme Court justices on the show. And uh, that's, those are sort of my really proud moments that, okay, this is a real gig. This is something that people actually pay attention to. If a, if a Supreme Court justice is willing to give their time to this, we like to think that we're, we're contributing something to public discourse. And it fits too with our goal of peeling back that curtain. We, again, humanize them, let them tell their story, which is always fun to hear. You know, for us, that's kind of what it's all about. We obviously knew each other before, but you connected about this idea on Twitter. My goodness, our brethren, in the appellate bar do love to tweet. Uh, there's that appe hashtag appellate Twitter. And good for them. There's this vibrant dialogue about appellate law all over the country on Twitter anytime you log in. There's always something. Do you guys participate in that? Review it? No, I, I, I do. I mean, I, I certainly follow it and participate when I have something useful to add. I mean, a lot of it talks U.S. Supreme Court and, and federal courts of appeals and other places where I don't really practice, and so I don't have much to add to that. But when it comes into my lane and things that I know about, I'm always happy to contribute. You know, I, I've gotten to know and meet a lot of people on Twitter, including Todd. That's that's how we first met. And 
a lot of our guests are appellate Twitter people that we knew, and it I don't know, someone, I can't remember if it was Carl Ciceri or somebody sort of described it as like a super networking program, which I think in the appellate community <laughs> it really is. You know, I can interact with a appellate judge from anywhere in the United States and, you know, have conversations that I would never be able to have without Twitter. It's just kind of a weird connecting device in our little corner of the world. But I think you're right. It is unique to appellate law, which I think probably lends itself to the fact that we're all introverts and we all like to write. And so, you know, <laughs> being able to think about our responses and write something pithy and, and snarky and, you know, creative in that respect, rather than having to have a face-to-face conversation may no pun intended, appeal to that audience a little bit more than others. That's a, that's, that's a pretty good combination of, of description and psychological uh, evaluation there, Jody. That was well done. I, I agree with Jody's observations. Um, and my involvement uh, and participation is about the same. I, I'll go uh, stretches where I'm really not on it very much, uh, usually because of time constraints, you know, it's one of those things that you can disappear down that rabbit hole pretty fast. And and you might learn a lot of great things. But when you're trying to take care of your client work, not necessarily the thing you want to be doing, you know, in the middle of the afternoon. Uh, so, but I, I do find, you know, we do have a very active Texas contingent uh, within the Appella Twitter community. Uh, it is fun, though, to see folks from other states. And Jody's right. We've, we've connected with many other lawyers on that platform that have become guests of our podcast or uh, suggested other guests, which has been a great source for us. And the thing that I think is unique about it, I guess a couple of things, you know, one, you have to be brief because you've got the character limit, which we all understand right. the, the, the challenge and the, the beauty of brevity uh, in writing. But second, you know, I don't see the same kind of community built out anywhere on, say, Facebook or LinkedIn. I, I, you know, there are, there are Texas lawyer, uh, appellate lawyer Facebook, or at least one appellate lawyer Facebook group that I'm aware of. And I don't, it doesn't have the same feel to it, to me, that Twitter does. And same for LinkedIn. I, it just doesn't seem like any time there's ever a, a movement to start an appellate lawyer group, really on either one of those platforms, that it gets kind of the same synergy and you have the same who i think are very high quality people leading it and sort of you know helping to generate the discussion but the one really great thing about it is it's just a very giving community I mean, there's a lot of emphasis in the discussions about uh, mentoring and networking and you know taking care of your clients business development and dealing with law firm life and a lot of just a, a positive vibes that come up in, in the discussion there. It's it's not like some other social media platforms in that way, where it's a whole lot less of the positive vibe. Well, for that matter, even Twitter. I mean, I saw a joke the other day that you know, no one ever said, I feel like I need some relaxation and meditation time. I'm just gonna check Twitter. And appellate Twitter isn't necessarily gonna calm you down, but you're absolutely right. There's not all this snarky, nasty meme stuff that you get in a lot of other discussion areas on Twitter. People are all in it together is yep. the vibe you get. And I'm sure people there have cases against each other and whatnot. That just doesn't, just doesn't come out. Or if it does, it doesn't poison well, yeah, the well yeah. any. Well, um, and, and, and to that point, you know, there's, this is again where, where Blake Hawthorne uh, comes in. I mean, Blake will tweet out things about not only, you know, what's going on with the Texas Supreme Court, but 
there have been a number of discussions over the years about one of the most fundamental things in appellate practice, which is, do you oppose a motion for extension of time to file a brief? And, you know, it's great to see someone like Blake just come out and say, don't bother doing it. It it reflects poorly on you unless you've got it. Just, you know, it's a life or death reason. Your client's about to lose some substantive right. And that tends to generate discussion whenever those kinds of posts are put up. But it's really nice to, mm-hmm. to be able to refer in, in those rare instances when you have to have that conversation with the lawyer on the other side and say, are you sure you want to oppose my extension motion? You know, you know that the, the, the prevailing way of thinking about these is they're, they're going to be granted even if they're opposed. But think about the more professional ethical reasons not to oppose them. You know, don't just do it because it's useless. You know, we're, we are all in this together to some degree. And we we see each other over and over as, as co-counsel and opposing counsel. And to me, it just kind of fits the whole community nature of, of the appellate bar more generally. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, it's really nice to have that affirmation uh, on Twitter. And the more positive uh, tone of the discussion is, is, I think, one of the best things about it. Taking that as a starting place and, and building on it in our discussions about podcasting, let's look down the road five years, maybe 10, next several years. How do you see social media and podcasting evolving as a medium and your own roles in it? The one thing we know for sure is it probably isn't going to stay the same because this, these technologies are evolving even as people are learning how to use them. So it's all parts of this puzzle are changing as people work with them. What's your guess about what lies ahead? I feel like there's going to be probably more synergy between the two. Um, you know, Todd and I, over the last couple of years, have been experimenting with live live things. Like, at first we started with Clubhouse, kind of doing refresh updates where we have past guests come on in conversations, and then we've moved over to Twitter spaces. And as we've been busy the last few months, it's fallen by the wayside, but I think we'd like to bring it back in the next month or so. And so I think we'll probably see more of that where you already have your built-in audience on Twitter. You show up, you have your live discussion and people that can jump in and out as they want to and and show up and listen. Um, You know, I I think that there's that. And it it has the interactive element, which is nice. You know, we can talk and have a Mm -hmm. conversation with our guests. And when we're ready, we can turn it over to the audience and have them ask questions, which is something that podcasting you don't have. There's no real feedback. There's no interaction. There's no real-time questioning. And so I think that there's there's an aspect of that that I like a lot personally, and it doesn't really change our substance or the way we prepare for it at all. Yeah, it's a nice compliment to what we do with the podcast, and uh, we do intend to get back to that. It's Clubhouse kind of started off hot, and, and Twitter kind of got in that space of having the live Twitter spaces or rooms, but there is something to be said about that interactive element, and and it does really complement more traditional social media. And it's to me, it's and I think we're in agreement on this, uh, Jody and I. That, you know, Twitter was kind of the natural platform to do something like that, just because of appellate Twitter already being there and it having uh, really established itself in, in the market. It's hard for a new player to to, to come in. Uh, and so, you know, we've, we've got Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn is kind of the big three these days, but I, in terms of podcasting and how it relates to social media, I, I think, you know, podcasting has become a lot more accessible over the last 10 years or so. I mean, it used to be really kind of a novel thing. Oh, you've got a podcast. You must be, you know, a, a tech whiz sitting in your basement, you know, with headphones on for hours and hours at a time. 
it's just not required uh, to, to do that anymore. There's lots of services out there that, that will help you launch a podcast and basically maintain all the technical side of it for you. It does cost money to do that, and that might deter some people. But even the DIYers, you know, it's it's totally available and possible to do it if you're so inclined to do it. You have to have a certain amount of motivation to do it, but it's it's something that I think the, the cost of it, other than opportunity cost, is probably going to continue to, to go down so that it is a more accessible medium for people who really want to do it. But that said, you know, if you're in it just to hear yourself talk, it's probably not the best medium for you. Uh, without a purpose, it's, it's not likely to, to go much of anywhere. So I don't know how really that social media is going to change, uh, other than I think appellate Twitter itself has uh, taken such a hold. I, I sure hope that it continues. Uh, I would really miss it if it, if it didn't. So you guys uh, introduced me to something fun when we talked the other day, which was this custom of ending with a war story or a tip. And I thought that was really fun. So I invite you, each in turn, to share with me and our audience here today a war story or tip that they will find useful in their lives or appellate law practice, as the case may be. That's right. It's my story as a witness. It's not my actual story. But I was in an oral argument um, at the Court of Appeals, and, and we had gone first, and the other side got up to give the response and the poor lawyer like two or three minutes into his presentation his nose just started bleeding profusely and you know he really tried to soldier on and you know was trying to not make a thing and just kept going and finally the judge stopped him and said okay let's just let's take a break he said no no it's fine the judge said no really Let's let's take a break. We're we're gonna we're gonna come back in a few minutes. You know, take all the time you want. We're gonna reset your clock so you haven't lost any time. Don't worry about it. Um, and he did. And he came back, and and everything was fine. But to me, that's kind of a metaphor for the practice of law and appellate law. Is sometimes your personal life gets in the way. Sometimes you have to take time for yourself, and don't be afraid to ask for it. Don't don't try and power through because. I mean, judges are people too. Lawyers are people. We all understand that these things come up and they happen. And don't be afraid to ask for help or a break when you need it because it's it's so critical and you're not helping yourself and you're not helping your client when you don't. Well, I'm, I'm going to tell a very quick war story and I don't want to end on, on that note. So I'm going to give a, a tip as well. Um, <clears throat> so my war story is something that it can happen to any of us. And it's just something to be Uh, mindful of the possibility of it happening. Uh, One of my very first oral arguments in the Fifth Circuit, I had traveled to New Orleans. I had made sure that I'd packed, you know, my suit, my tie, my shirt, my shoes, everything I needed. Uh, I was not going to, yeah, you go down that checklist, right? Because you're afraid, you know, you get there and you're like, oh my gosh, I forgot my tie or something like that. Well, that's not what happened to me exactly. Um, I'm thinking here, I yeah, no, yeah. Stayed close to the, the John Minor Wisdom uh, courthouse, like we all tend to do when we go to New Orleans. And I went to put on my suit that morning, and sure enough, my zipper broke. And I was thinking to myself, I'd probably, you know, half an hour before I needed to be in the courthouse. Uh, <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, well, what do I do? And I really had no good solution. Um, So let's just say it was one of those days when I was really glad that the tables cover your lap 
uh, in the Fifth Circuit courtrooms and that I was able to stand behind the lectern. Uh, and... <laughs> so, so, so I made it through oral argument with, uh, with no zipper uh, on my pants. And then when the argument was over, I promptly changed back into my casual clothes to catch a flight home. Oh, um, so, so I guess the, the war story is basically watch out for wardrobe malfunctions. You can make that a tip too. Uh, but really my tip, but to, to end on, uh, I think maybe a more positive note, I mean, that's a, that's a kind of a laughable story and it's fine, but I, I haven't told that on myself very frequently over the years, <laughs> but to, to end on a, on a pointer that I think is something that it's fitting with, with Jody's, it's something that I learned a long time ago and I continue to hear and it continues to be reinforced, uh, is just to be authentic, um, as a lawyer, as a person. If you're on social media and you're trying to be somebody else, or if you're on a podcast and you're trying to be somebody else, potential clients or referral sources or other or listeners, they're going to sniff that out. Uh, and so that's not what you want to become known for, is for trying to, to put up an air uh, for yourself. Um, being authentic in, in your law practice and how you hold yourself out to the world is, in my view, the way to go. And it makes it a lot easier because then all you have to do is worry about just being yourself. Uh, people will, if you're authentic, some people will love you. Some people won't. That's just the nature of, of humanity. Uh, but you'll have an audience and you'll have fans, uh, no matter who you are. So, uh, that's the, I think the best advice I can give someone, not only young lawyers, but anybody who's trying to venture into, uh, social media or podcasting as a way of putting themselves out there, be your authentic self when you do it. Absolutely. That's fantastic advice. Very well taken and very well said. Mm -hmm. Folks, yeah. uh, this was a delightful time. You guys have good insights <laughs> about the world, and it's been a real treat to share episodes with one another here in these last few yeah. weeks. I look forward to tweeting with you some in the weeks ahead and seeing you at one of our CLEs here sometime later this year. Today on Coal Mind, I welcomed my guests and my friends, Todd Smith and Jody Sanders, the publishers of the podcast called Texas Appellate Law. We talked about practice and podcasting, and if you enjoyed our conversation, you can hear their interview of me on their podcast. In upcoming episodes of Coal Mind, I look forward to bringing you more interviews about how our society has been changed by the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as observations about the Supreme Court as a new associate justice gets up to speed and involved in the work of the court. I appreciate you listening, and I look forward to sharing with you again soon.